Hey guys, my name is Phaedra, and I'm the founder and host of the So What Pod. Today's date is May 24th. I've decided to launch a mini-series, spread out over the next few weeks, in order to shed some light on the state of abortion rights in Canada. In case you missed it this week, Alabama went full Handmaid's Tale, and people on both sides of our border, understandably, got fucking mad. But, as usual, even as Canadians seem to know more about what's happening in the U.S., really on any topic, than about what's happening up here. This series will explore the history of abortion in Canada, and I'll talk to people working in the trenches, from advocates and activists to medical professionals to lawyers, in order to give you a rounded-out understanding of the current state of abortion in Canada. Let me be clear on one thing first. Abortion is not a topic of debate where there are multiple valid points of view. You either believe that all people have agency and the right to make decisions about their own body, or you don't. Abortion is healthcare, and everyone has the right to access it. On today's episode, I'm going to run through a quick history of abortion in Canada and paint a picture of its seminal figures. At the end of the episode, I'll be listing a few headlines you need to know about before you head into your weekend. I'll also be sharing about the campaign we have going on in support of abortion rights in Canada, and how you can get involved from the comfort of your own home. First, here's our quick history lesson. Prior to 1969, all abortion was illegal in Canada. In 1969, under Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, Canada legalized abortion, but only as long as a committee of doctors, known as a therapeutic abortion committee, had signed off on each case and, to use their language, deemed abortion necessary for the mental or physical well-being of the mother. Abortions at this time were also only available at hospitals. Dr. Henry Morgenthaler changed all of this. Dr. Henry Morgenthaler was a Jew of Polish origin who grew up just south of Warsaw and lived in the Lotz ghetto during the war. His father was active in the General Jewish Labor Bund in Poland and was killed by the Gestapo. His sister fled to Warsaw and participated in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. She was ultimately deported to Treblinka, where she was executed. When the Germans raided the Lutz Ghetto in 1942, Henry, along with his brother Abraham, his mother Golda, the Rosenfarb family, whose daughter Hava would later become Henry's wife, and two other families hid in a room in their apartment for two days with a door concealed by a wardrobe. When the Germans discovered them, they were deported to Auschwitz. Henry and Abraham never saw their mother again. They were deported to Dachau, where they remained for the rest of the war. When the camp was liberated a few years later, Henry, at 22 years old, weighed 70 pounds. After receiving treatment at displaced persons hospitals and camps in Austria and Bavaria, Henry headed to Belgium, where he reunited with the Rosenfarbs. His brother, Abraham, left for the United States. Chava Rosenfarb and Henry Morgenthaler were married in Belgium in 1949, but as they were not in Belgium legally, were forced to emigrate. In 1950, they boarded the SS Samaria, sailing to Canada. Chava Rosenfarb would go on to become one of the foremost contributors to post-World War II Yiddish literature, having started writing poetry at the age of eight. When she and Henry arrived in Montreal in 1950, they were received by Yiddish writers at Windsor Station. In 
After studying medicine at the Université de Montréal and receiving Canadian citizenship, Dr. Henry Morgenthaler practiced as a GP in the East End of Montreal. He soon moved over to family planning and became one of the first doctors in Canada to perform vasectomies, to insert IUDs, and to prescribe birth control pills to unmarried women. In 1969, after abortion was decriminalized but still difficult to access, Dr. Morgenthaler opened an abortion clinic in Montreal to perform abortions for those who hadn't been approved by a therapeutic abortion committee and consequently couldn't access the procedure at a hospital. In 1970, his abortion clinic was raided by the Montreal police, who laid several charges of performing illegal abortions. Between 1973 and 1975, Morgenthaler was tried three times for violating Canada's abortion laws. Each time, he was acquitted, because each time, the jury refused to enforce a law that they found unjust. The province of Quebec appealed the acquittal, and, in an unprecedented move, all five judges on Quebec's Court of Appeal overruled the jury's acquittal. Dr. Morgenthaler appealed his conviction to the Supreme Court of Canada, but they upheld the court's ruling, stating, quote, the danger to women is not imminent. Dr. Morgenthaler was sentenced to 18 months in prison in 1975 and served a total of 10, during which he suffered a heart attack while in solitary confinement. In 1976, the Parti Québécois took power. They realized it would be difficult to uphold abortion laws if juries would not convict. The new government's justice minister dropped all charges against Morgenthaler and announced the province would no longer enforce Canadian abortion laws against medical professionals or medical abortion clinics. Dr. Morgenthaler twice challenged the constitutionality of Canada's abortion laws. The first time, he did so unsuccessfully in 1976. The unfavorable result didn't stop him from opening 20 abortion clinics across the country and training over 100 medical professionals. In 1983 alone, he opened clinics in both Winnipeg and Toronto. His second constitutional challenge, in 1988, was successful. 1982 had seen the introduction of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada, which outlined certain rights that proved fundamental in the case he brought before the Supreme Court. Dr. Morgenthaler's legal team argued that Canada's abortion laws, as they stood, infringed on the charter right protecting the security of the person. They won, and that year, laws surrounding abortion were removed from the criminal code. Dr. Morgenthaler received numerous awards and accolades for his commitment to abortion rights, including being named to the Order of Canada in 2008 for, quote, his commitment to increased health care options for women, his determined efforts to influence Canadian public policy, and his leadership in humanist and civil liberties organizations. Three members ultimately left the Order of Canada in protest, including the Archbishop of Montreal, a Montreal astronomer, and a Montreal pianist and conductor. In 2013, Dr. Morgenthaler died in Toronto of a heart attack. He was 90. His activism wasn't without significant backlash. His colleagues, staff, patients, and he himself were the target of anti-abortion violence and death threats starting in the 1980s and continuing through the 1990s, even after abortion was fully legalized. In 1983, Dr. Morgenthaler was attacked outside of one of his Toronto clinics by a man with garden shears. That same year, one of his clinics was firebombed, the neighboring women's bookstore sustained most of the damage. 
1992, four years after abortion was struck from the criminal code, one of his clinics was firebombed. The damage meant the clinic had to be demolished. As a result of the violence, the government of Ontario spent a little over $400,000 for improved security at abortion clinics and considered gathering information about anti-choice activists. Dr. Garson Romalis was a Canadian gynecologist who specialized in abortions. He was first impacted by the consequences of illegal abortions in 1960 as a medical student when he was assigned the case of a young woman who had died of a septic abortion. The woman had used bark from a slippery elm tree, a common folk tool for abortion, to induce her abortion. He also interned at a hospital in Cook County, Illinois, in 1962, where he recalled entire wards set up for victims of complications of pregnancy, where 90% of the patients had suffered septic abortion. In 1994, an anti-choice protester fired a high-powered rifle into Dr. Romalis' home in West Vancouver. A bullet tore through his femoral artery in his thigh, and he risked bleeding to death. He saved his own life by improvising a tourniquet with the belt from his bathrobe. In 2000, Romalis was stabbed by an anti-choice protester. He survived and continued to perform abortions until his death from illness in 2014. In 1995, an anti-choice sniper shot at Canadian abortion provider Dr. Hugh Short while he was watching TV at his home in Ancaster, Ontario. He survived, but his abortion practice did not. In 1998, Dr. Barnett Sleepian, an abortion-providing doctor who lived in New York, was assassinated by an anti-choice sniper who shot at him through his kitchen window. Sleepian had just returned from a synagogue service for his father. Sleepian's grandfather had been a Jewish-Russian immigrant who settled on the East Coast. Sleepian's murder inspired a rise in anti-abortion violence in Canada, and Canadian abortion providers in the late 1990s began wearing bulletproof vests. If you are anti-abortion, you are not pro-life. Your movement puts the lives of those who wish to end their pregnancies at risk. Bans on abortion do not prevent abortions from happening. Abortions happen long before abortion was legal and will continue to happen for as long as people are capable of reproduction. Bans on abortion simply make abortions less safe. Deciding to have an abortion is an extremely personal medical decision between a person and their doctor. It is not up to you to be for or against abortion if you're not deciding to have one yourself, just as it's not up to you to be for or against any other medical procedure if it's not a procedure you're thinking of having. The right to abortion is the right to access health care. End of story. David Boys, a founder of British Columbia's PAP test program, spoke to Dr. Romalis in the mid-1970s after Roe v. Wade legalized abortion in the U.S. He said, quote, that politicians, with a few strokes of a pen, have saved more lives than we have with 25 years of effort screening for cervical cancer. So when people like 21-year-old Ontario MPP Sam Oosterhof say things like they intend to make abortion in Canada unthinkable in our lifetime, he is unabashedly anti-life. It's easy for us to take our rights and freedoms for granted, and to look at the United States and say, whoa, that's terrible, but that doesn't happen here. But it has. And even the quietest of whispers threatening to take your rights away should put you on guard. Especially when that whisper is being shared to an audience on social media by a politician who is in office because they were voted there by a majority of people. 
these views do not happen in a vacuum and they are not an anomaly. So fight. And let's be clear, this is not just a women's issue. It takes two people to make a baby. This is a human rights issue and everyone has a role to play in ensuring these rights are protected. In an interview with CTV from 2005, Dr. Morgenthaler said, I got involved because this was, for me, a fight for justice, for fundamental justice, and the fact that I could possibly do something to help women in spite of a law which did not allow me to do it. I was willing to go to jail. I was willing to die for it. So when I look back on it, I look at a life of achievement because I achieved a great deal and I'm very proud of it. At So What?, we recently launched a t-shirt repurposing a politician's misogyny to benefit abortion rights in Canada. Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada, said a few weeks ago, in reference to the government providing free menstrual products in federal buildings, that, quote, gender equality, blah, blah, blah. So we made t-shirts that say exactly that. 10% of the proceeds from each shirt sold will go to the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, Canada's only nationwide political pro-choice group. Get your shirt now and support abortion rights and access in Canada by heading to our website at www.sowhatmedia.ca and clicking on the merch button in the menu at the top of the page. This has been the first episode in a series of episodes shedding light on the state of abortion in Canada. Be sure to share it widely. We will not go back. Next week, we interview a young woman working on the ground as an advocate and activist in Manitoba. Here are a few headlines you should know about before you head into the weekend. First, the Philippines dismissed Canada's plan to bring garbage back by the end of June. In case you missed it, freight containers full of Canadian garbage, and I'm trying hard not to make a political joke here, have been sitting in a port outside of Hanoi. The Philippines have begun moving forward with the shipping of the garbage back to Canada themselves. Second, Justin Trudeau exonerated a Saskatchewan chief of a historic treason conviction. Chief Poundmaker was an important political leader who stood up for his people during the Northwest resistance, spoke out against unfulfilled treaty promises, and stopped First Nations fighters from going after retreating federal forces that had attacked them. He was charged with treason 130 years ago. Finally, the House of Commons may need to sit through the summer in order to pass the new NAFTA deal. With the U.S.'s steel and aluminum tariffs lifted, ratification of the new NAFTA can now proceed. But this might be complicated by the fact that the House typically rises for the summer sometime mid-June and won't be back before election season in the fall. That's it for today's pod. If you enjoyed it, be sure to like and subscribe and spread the word. I'll be back again next Friday. If you want to stay up to date in the meantime, Subscribe to our daily newsletter on our website and follow us on Instagram at sowhatmedia.inc. Have a great weekend.